CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. And here we go. We start another week here on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. What an exceptional weekend here in Georgia and across the United States. Uh, I don't have to tell uh, most of you out there that Saturday at about 11.25 or so, the uh, uh, news organizations, Associated Press being the primary one, called the election for Joe Biden. And within a very short time, there were demonstrations of uh, joy uh, spontaneously breaking out in cities around the country. Uh, here in Atlanta, we saw people at uh, a number of locations downtown over in the uh, Ponzi Highland area. And at the same time, uh, the uh, supporters of Donald Trump and some of his political surrogates were staging uh, counter-protests and news conferences saying that as far as they were concerned, the election was not over yet. In the meantime, the votes continue to be counted here in the state. And as of this moment, it does appear that uh, Joe Biden will be uh, the winner of the Georgia election. He's now 10,000 plus votes ahead of Donald Trump. And we don't think there are too many votes left to be counted. We'll see what happens this morning when Brad Raffensperger uh, gives us an update. Uh, we've got an exceptional group of people to talk about what it means here if, in fact, Joe Biden has won the presidential race in Georgia. And I want to get to that in a minute, but but I have to do a couple of quick things first. First of all, so many of you uh, wrote to me over the last week uh, to say uh, how much you appreciated the fact that Political Rewind was with you throughout the week, both in the morning and the afternoon, as we did all of our live shows both morning and afternoon to stay on top of the news. And I'm incredibly grateful to you for your feedback. You know, I, I really do try to answer emails when I can. I'm way, way behind. So if you sent me an email and asked me a question or made a comment that I need to respond to, I promise you I will get to that sometime in the week ahead uh, so that you understand that I do read what you all send me. Second of all, I didn't get to do it on Friday, so I'm going to do it at the top of the show so that I don't screw up and miss a chance by uh, talking too long to the panel later in the show. We had an extraordinary team. When you write to thank me, here are the other people you really are thanking for the coverage that you got from Political Rewind. Uh, producer, Sam Burmas-Dawes. Senior producer, Amelia Brock. Our engineers, Jake Troyer and Jesse Neiswanger. Um, our operations manager, Tom Barclay. He's a behind-the-scenes guy you never really get to know much about, but Tom makes it possible for us at the last minute to say, no, we're not going to be on tape of two, Tom. We're going to be alive. Virginia Prescott, uh, who helped us stay on top of breaking news as it was developing during our shows. GPB intern Eva Rothenberg. The whole GPB news team, including Stephen Fowler, our political reporter, who was working nonstop and came on our show twice last week in the afternoon to keep us up to speed. And the newest member of the Political Rewind team, who we haven't introduced uh, until now. Jade uh, Abdul-Malik is uh, joining us as uh, an associate producer on the show. So thank you to all of you. Thank you for you out there listening. Let's get to it because we have a panel that can talk about whether we have history in the making in Georgia right now. Uh, let me start, of course, uh, with my partner, on Mondays and Fridays, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, 
He oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. And, of course, you see him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper. How are you, Jim? I am just reveling in the silence right now. The robocalls have stopped. <laughs> uh, there is nothing in my, There was nothing in my Saturday mailbox. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it was a good feeling to have this done. Yeah. <laughs> We're also joined today by two political leaders who are uh, genuinely groundbreakers, history makers. They are the former mayor of the city of Atlanta, Shirley Franklin, who was elected in 2002 for her first term and became the first uh, woman mayor of the city of Atlanta and the first African-American female mayor in the uh, uh, South. Um, Shirley, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was an exciting week, and um, I do believe history has been made. Um, We'll get to talk about all of that in just a moment. Uh, Michael Thurman is with us as well. Talk about groundbreakers. Michael Thurman was the first African-American legislator elected out of Athens, Clark County, back in 1986, since Reconstruction, that is, and went on. And Michael, you can help me. uh, the, The nuances of this are important. When you were the state labor commissioner, you became, I think, the first black candidate to be elected to a statewide constitutional office that you had not first been appointed to. In other words, you ran and were elected as opposed to uh, several of your colleagues who were appointed, African-Americans who were appointed and then ran. You did it cold. Is that, do I have that right, Michael? (laughs) Yeah, I begged Governor Miller to appoint me, but he wouldn't do it. So anyway, I had no And, of course, Michael is now the DeKalb, of, uh, DeKalb County CEO and is a historian, which is one of the reasons we really wanted him on this show today. And we're joined by my former colleague and genuinely one of the great journalists in uh, Georgia, John Pruitt, former longtime anchor for WSB-TV. Before that, he'd spent a little time at Channel 11, and before that was at WSB. Um, a career that began in the mid-60s when uh, John covered civil rights, uh, and then starting in 1967, uh, full-time, after serving in the Army, full-time covering Georgia politics well before people like me came on the scene, and Galloway for that matter, and uh, uh, anchor at, at, at uh, Channel 2 News until you finally retired. Has it been really since 2010, John? That can't be true. Ten years. Yes, ten years. But uh, thankfully, they dusted me off and put me back in the uh, commentator's chair this week. (laughs) I've I've truly enjoyed being a part of this. It was the first uh, presidential election I've sat and watched from my home since 19, well, before 1964, which was my first presidential election. So it was it was nice to have a peripheral role uh, as a commentator uh, over the past week and, and today. And let me add well, congratulations to you and, and Political Rewind, Bill, for being there and being such an important part of all this. Well, you're, that's very kind of you, John. Thank you. Galloway, before we get into uh, assessing what happened and what's happening currently in Georgia, uh, give us a quick look at the process. We already know that 
President Trump has accused Georgia, as he has any number of other states, of corruption, of Democrats trying to steal the election with no proof, of course, whatsoever. He's appointed Doug Collins to uh, lead a recount effort here, but a recount is still some time off. I think we're going to find all the votes will have been counted, I think, today, and then there's another process that goes on. Tell us a little about that, and we'll get started. Yeah, they should they should get to 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 the remaining votes today. Right now, as of this morning, uh, Joe Biden is leading with ten thousand three hundred and fifty three votes. That was as, as about maybe seven forty this morning. Uh, what happens next? And I believe this is correct. Uh, our, our reader, our, our, our listeners will will tell us if I'm not. Uh, the Secretary of State's off, office uh, and Brad Raffensperger leaves that leads that office. He is a Republican. Uh, he will. Uh, they will conduct an audit, uh, which is basically a, a, a checking of the software and the hardware, uh, a spot checks on software and hardware, just to make sure that everything was was okie dokie uh, during during Tuesday's vote and 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 the and and the votes cast leading up to it. Then you have the counties must actually report. Uh, their numbers formally report their numbers to the Secretary of State's office, and only only then can a contest be actually certified, and only then, uh, if you finish, uh, if you if the margin between Biden and Trump is less than 05 percent, then Trump can ask for a recount, and that will be uh, conducted. And you know that could take a little bit of time because we do have paper ballots, and those have to be refed into a machine. Uh, 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 by every every county in the in in the state, it does appear uh, that the recount will probably have to take place. Um, Shirley Franklin, first of all, uh, I, it, what we we know about recounts uh, in a state like Georgia, I mean, a recount where there's a couple of hundred votes, say, separating candidates, uh, it's possible it may change the outcome of election, but it doesn't happen very often, and it certainly is unlikely to happen if, in fact, the margin between the two candidates is more than 10,000 votes, right? Um, I, you know, I'm not the specialist on who, when you recount and not, but I'm not worried about the recount. Um, I think that um, that's part of the process. I think we need to be focused as Democrats. I need to be focused on the Senate races and let the um, um, election officials uh, proceed with um, uh, analyzing the vote. Uh, it is miraculous uh, that uh, almost 5 million people voted. And I don't think we've said that enough. Uh, a big thank you to all the Georgians who came out to vote and to vote their conscience. How, how does this seem? How did this happen? Cheryl? I want to start with you and then give everybody a chance to weigh in on this important question of the fact that it has not been since 1992 that a Democrat won the state of Georgia in a presidential race. It was Bill Clinton in 92. He didn't even win re-election here in 96. Shirley, what are your thoughts? And then let's go around on how this happened. Well, I mean, I, there, I mean it was a confluence of things. Several things all happened at uh, the same time uh, in 2020. But there's been a lot of groundwork going on in the state of Georgia, going all the way back um, to the race you talked about with Michael, um, um, who's on the, who's on the call, the CEO. I mean, people have been working at the grassroots level in Georgia 
since the Civil Rights Act was passed, uh, <laughs> since the Voting Rights Act was passed. And um, and the, the state has grown in population and attracted people from all over the country to move here, to live here, and they've brought their own political um, interests. Then you have a pandemic. Then you have a president who sows um, uh, division and, and disagreement. Um, then you have a Stacey Abrams who says, I'm going to visit every county in Georgia, which I'm sure Michael um, and others on the call can talk about as well. Um, the fact that pe- she actually sat down and said, I've got a plan to put on top of the plans or to layer on top of the plans that have been in place for, for generations. Um, so uh, lots of people, both Republicans and Democrats and independents, decided this was an election of a lifetime. And they showed up to vote. So you have early voting. You have easier registration. You have a new kind of leadership. Um, You have that leadership working with others in partnership. You build on the success of Governor Barnes. You build on the success of of Michael Thurman uh, and people who've been running for a long time. The number, the difference between Republican votes and Democratic votes has been shrinking over the years. I think there was a question as to whether this would be the year. I know from talking to Stacey Abrams in 2014, she thought it would be 2020. So I'll just stop at that. It's a combination of things. Everyone has an interest in the outcome. Uh, My interest is obviously an interest. So I'm saying my interest, as like everyone else, was, I mean, are we going to be a healthy state? And that's you can define health a lot of different ways. Michael, uh, on this show, for several weeks before the election, you have said to us, uh, yes, the black vote is important, but people better be paying attention to the percentage of the white vote that uh, Joe Biden is able to get. We don't have data from the Secretary of State's office yet, of course. that Those demographics will come later. But just looking at exit polls, uh, it appears that Joe Biden got um, 29 to 30 percent of the white vote in the state, eclipsing the vote totals, the white vote totals that a Hillary Clinton uh, received four years ago and certainly better than almost any Democratic candidate has done in the state for decades. Yes? Uh, absolutely. And, and Mayor Franklin is absolutely right. There was a confluence of events over a period of time going all the way back, at least in the modern era, to uh, the late Maynard Jackson, who ran for the U.S. Senate. And all of us, uh, Robert Judge Robert, Justice Robert Benham and others, have laid the foundation that brought us to this point. And uh, it's so important that we not forget that this is a basically a 30-plus year struggle, really longer than that. It's over 60-year struggle uh, since the Voting Rights Act uh, to make sure that African Americans can compete and, and Democratic candidates can compete and win uh, since the Republican takeover. Uh, but that's true, and, and we can't underestimate the power of the coalition that Joe Biden and his team was able to assemble, not just here in Georgia, but he reclaimed those critical Midwestern states of Pennsylvania, we believe, in Michigan uh, and Wisconsin by creating a coalition of African-Americans who came out in record numbers, but also progressives, uh, LGBT, 
all of those people and disaffect the Republicans. Uh, 29% is a huge percent of white voters, and a significant percentage of those, and they were telling me this all through the campaign, I do have friends who are Republicans. They were saying that they were not voting for Trump and voting for Biden, and they actually showed up. John and Jim, I, I know it's always hard to talk about numbers on the radio, but but let me try it, and then John, give you a first crack at this, and then you, Jim. Um, let's talk about vote totals between uh, Trump and Biden, and let's do it in the context of 2016. In and I'm going to do this because John, what Democrats have been hoping for was an overwhelming victory over Donald Trump that could uh, give them a very clear mandate and put a kind of a nail in the coffin of Trumpism. And that did not happen across the country, obviously. And to make the point, it didn't happen here. So with that in mind, in, in Donald Trump actually expanded his votes in 2020 over what he got in this state in 2016. In 2016, Trump received 2,089,000 votes. This election, he received 2,455,000 votes, a big increase. And at the same time, uh, Biden really built on the Democratic vote totals. In 2016, Hillary Clinton won 1,877,000 votes in Georgia, 1.8. Biden won 2.5 million. They both expanded on 2016, and yet uh, it was Joe Biden whose vote totals really uh, uh, leapt in a way that that allowed him to get to the point where we think he won the state. John? Yeah, I think uh, Joe Biden can thank Donald Trump for that. I think Trump was the overriding factor in this election. It certainly drove Democratic turnout, the suburban turnout, and by the same token drove the turnout in rural Georgia, which went heavily for Trump. I think something else was also driving those Trump voters, and that would be the radical socialist moniker that uh, Republican candidates tried to put on Biden and the entire Democratic Party. And I think that'll certainly be a factor in the runoffs to come. But uh, yeah, Bill, I was thinking about, as is my role, ancient history, when Mac Mattingly in 1980 <laughs> won the Senate race over Democratic legend Herman Talmadge. It happened in the wee hours of the morning, and it was Cobb County that put him over the top. But Mattingly was a virtual unknown, defeating a legend. And it was an aha moment. We said, gee, the suburbs are Republican. And that was sort of the, uh, the beginning of the Republican dominance that eventually came to pass. Well, we knew there was strength in the suburbs for Democrats, but... I don't know many people who predicted that Biden would carry Georgia. And the strength is there. The power is there. It'll be so interesting to see if that can be replicated in the runoffs for the Democrats. Yeah. Jim? Um, yeah. Let me, if I could just build on something that John said. First of all, uh, going back to that 1980 race with Herman Talmadge and Mac Mattingly. Uh, keep in mind, yes, the, the the GOP was ascending at that moment, but it was kind of one step forward, two steps back True. at that point. I mean, there was a lot of back and forth. I think your next uh, uh, Republican victory came 12 years later uh, uh, with Paul Coverdell. 
so so there's there there is there is that that caveat there that one one race does not make a a does not uh, uh, make a trend. Uh, and and the other thing I would say is is that you know there's if you if you if you write a lot about history if you read a lot about history there's always this tension between uh, is it is it is is history driven by individuals or is it driven by movements and I, I would kind of agree, uh, uh, I mean Stacey Abrams had her role very very definitely Donald Trump sure as heck had his role uh, the virus had its role. Uh, but I would go back to to what uh, Michael was, was saying, and and this is the, the the history of Georgia politics has always been a history of shifting alliances. You know, I mean, uh, with with the lowering of the flag, uh, uh, rural white Georgia uh, fled to the GOP, hooked up with uh, Republicans, uh, uh, suburbanites, and they have run the country for. Uh, ever ever since i mean run they've run the state ever since now now to to john's point suburbia is 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 shifting back into the democratic column and so you have a new kind of uh, coalition a new alliance between uh, that's that's largely north georgia oriented which is which is very significant i think and, when and you say the, north georgia oriented yeah go ahead michael well jim is absolutely right and and you know, we're celebrating, uh, I am, what appears to be a Biden victory. But as was pointed out, uh, basically Georgia is still a red state, and we shouldn't overlook that. All the constitutional officers, the House, the Senate, the governor's office, and so forth. What really has to occur is Democrats must now figure out how we can better communicate with basically working-class white voters, which is what Joe Biden did. Uh, so many of the issues that working class whites have and are concerned about are also issues uh, that I think uh, the traditional Democrats are concerned with. In order to turn this one victory, which Jim Galloway correctly pointed, into something more substantive and sustainable, otherwise it just be back and forth. Uh, one election will be Democrat, one will be Republican. In order to have a lasting coalition, Democrat must figure out how to protect uh, legislators like Bart Trammell and elect legislators in rural Georgia. You know, uh, I want to get you back into this, Shirley, but, you know, very quickly, uh, to build on John and Jim, John, I hear you when you say Mac Mattingly was kind of uh, an early sign that Republicans could, in fact, win elections here. Uh, he did win it, as you uh, 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 so well remember. It, it was the next morning. Many of us yep. stayed up all night at, at, at waiting for the final results to come in, and, in, and we finally got him, and he had beaten Talmadge. The irony, of course, is that six years later, we all stayed up all night again, and it wasn't until very early the next morning, 5, 5.30, that we learned that Republican Mac Mattingly had, in fact, been defeated by Democrat White Fowler, and so the, uh, the, the seat flipped back uh, to the Democrats. And that leads me, surely to say that what, what, what Mike Thurman talks about, that we've got this state, if you're a Democrat, needs to do more to consolidate what has been built around Biden. Uh, the first test of it is coming in nine weeks, these two Senate runoff elections, surely. Well, thank you. I, I, I want to also note just one other thing that happened. We now have four women in the congressional delegation. Three of them um, are Democrats, uh, and that's a first. And to some extent, 
their elections, the elections of the three Democrats, helped to, they were helped both by the Biden-Harris ticket, but they also helped the Biden-Harris ticket because of the intensity of their campaigning. And none of those, um, at least two of those races, were intensely um, um, controversial and a lot of heavy campaigning. And at least in one, in the Lucy McBath, she she had to appeal um, both to blacks and whites, and she did that very well. I was not in the campaign, but I viewed it from afar. She did that very well. Many of us uh, thought that that race would be a lot closer with Karen Handel, who has now run several times. So, um, you know, as a woman, um, I don't just want to skip over the fact uh, that we have three progressive women um, in our delegation, which is a brand-new accomplishment. Uh, and we have four in the overall delegation. So there has been the dawning, uh, the dawn of more women uh, in major positions in the, in, the, um, uh, in the state. So with respect to the runoff, I mean, this is – I'm not a political wizard, but it seems to me you've got to run in the runoff as if your life depends on it. I mean, you cannot wait. Uh, I don't know what's going on on the Republican side, but I suspect that they are heavy on strategy. They will not have um, Donald, the president, President Trump, on the ballot. And I, I'm not sure whether uh, the Republican leadership would be particularly national leadership would be particularly effective in helping uh, the Republican um, senators who are uh, who are fighting for um, you know for this in this race. Um, I think the races are close enough. Uh, at least uh, the the race is close enough to winning. Anytime you have millions of people voting. And the difference is uh, a matter of a few thousand votes. I mean, 10,000, 9,000, 90,000. That race is winnable. Uh, it will be very interesting to see uh, the strategy that uh, Senator Loeffler uses uh, to defeat Warnock. I mean, he's, he's, he's a much more formidable candidate than I think she, she or um, uh, Congressman Collins uh, expected. All right, let's do this. Uh, we are going to talk a bit more about the Senate race. I do still want to take a deeper dive into the history of Georgia in terms of this uh, uh, blue to red and now uh, a, perhaps a trend back towards uh, a blue state to some extent. Uh, we'll do that with our panel when we come back from uh, these, these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Shirley Franklin, Michael Thurman, John Pruitt, Jim Galloway, all joining us on Political Rewind today to look at the uh, results of the 2020 presidential race and uh, look ahead to the uh, 
runoffs for the United States Senate. John Pruitt, let, let me start with you, uh, because many times uh, in the past uh, of few weeks, we've talked about the fact that no Democrat since um, Bill Clinton won the state of Georgia in a presidential contest. And of course, that's true. What's interesting about that, John, is uh, Clinton won it with, I think I'm fair, I'm saying correctly, is the smallest plurality that any presidential candidate has ever had to win. He only won 43% of the vote in Georgia that year, uh, and, the, and to 41 for uh, uh, President Bush. And the only thing to put Trump, uh, times Trump, Clinton over the top was the fact that uh, Ross Perot was in that race. So even that race is sort of a cloud over the fact that a Democrat won in 92 here. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, he had the full uh, throated support of Zell Miller, which was a huge factor. And of course, Georgia came early in the primary process. But yeah, it was uh, an unusual uh, victory to be sure, but a Democratic victory nonetheless. (laughs) Um, Michael? Well, not to be a Danny Downer, but I don't believe, I don't think it's correct to describe Georgia as being a blue state. What Georgia has become is a swing state. And if you look at the Midwestern states, whether it's Michigan or Wisconsin or, 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 or some of Pennsylvania, they swing back and forth. So it would be wise for Democrats not to describe Georgia as a blue state. We're in a state that we can win if we are smart, if we are strategic, and if we work our behinds off to get people to the polls and vote. One race does not convert a state in either direction. So what you're going to find in the years to come, uh, this state can swing back and forth. Uh, it's what uh, Shirley and Jim and, and John all say it. It's a few thousand votes either way, so there's nothing you can take for granted. And the worst thing we can do facing two major runoffs on January 5th is to somehow assume that we are a blue state. We are not. We are a swing state, which is a huge step forward. But that requires work and preparation and strategy and literally getting people out of their homes to polling places or returning mail-in ballots. How do you imagine, Michael, the uh, runoff elections are going to go in that respect? How how are Democrats going to be able to mount a campaign to challenge the two uh, Republicans in that race? I mean, you, you, uh, Asaf has to gain 90,000-plus votes. That's how far behind uh, Purdue he's been. And, uh, and and Raphael Warnock finished first in that jungle race with about 32% of the vote. So uh, on one hand, it looks like Purdue has a somewhat of an advantage if you think the primary, uh, the election proved anything. Uh, and in the other, it looks like Warnock has a slight advantage if that means anything. Well, first, I'm not officially affiliated with either one of the uh, campaigns, but obviously... I'm supporting both of those candidates. Uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge, uh, but it's something that can be done. I think Joe Biden proved the fact that it's doable, and that always generates more excitement and hopefully uh, inspiration to get out and work hard. But it's a tough race. It's going to be a difficult race. 
uh, on either side. The key in a runoff, and something Jim Galloway wrote about uh, yesterday in, in the Constitution, uh, Purdue and Leffler are really uh, formidable uh, opponents for Ossoff and, and Warnock. But the biggest challenge may be COVID-19. And so what we have to think about is how to really address low propensity voters in an environment where I'm, I'm afraid that this pandemic is reasserting itself in a very, very forceful way. And Jim Galloway can talk about it because he wrote about it very succinctly yesterday. That's a huge challenge that will have to be overcome. Yeah, there, and there's 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 one other thing, uh, Bill. That, and and let's let's if we can move to the Republican side on on this, is how do you how do you how do you move Republican voters back to the polls? I, th- I think I think I still think uh, they have the uh, Republicans have the advantage in in any statewide runoff at this point, just because they have older voters who are who are who are, who are more habitual, if you will. But there's there's a real interior Republican debate going on right now on how you message. Right now, uh, right now we are in the middle of, uh, of kind of a, a grievance campaign that, that uh, you've got Republicans saying the, 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 the Georgia election has been stolen from, from Donald Trump. And, uh, and, and there you, uh, uh, last week we even had, we had Donald Trump Jr. in Georgia and he, he very, very subtly threatened any Republican uh, public official who's who's uh, got out of line and declared Biden the winner. So you so you've got that dynamic now. Is that a motivator? Does that drive people to the poll, or does it does it does it tell uh, your your rural white voters, which you need so heavily in, uh, on the Republican side, does it tell them that uh, oh it doesn't matter anymore? The, the 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 game is fixed, and and why should I even try to vote? It's uh, it, it's a it's a it's an interesting question. Uh, well, like John, a, we, we do have, yeah, Julie, please do. Well, it, what interests me is uh, piggybacking on Jim's uh, question about what, how do you motivate your voters, you know, particularly with no Trump on the ballot. The, the fact that Biden won, but Republicans down ballot did pretty well all across the country and certainly here in Georgia. They kept the legislature. Uh, they still control all statewide offices. Uh, constitutional offices. So how do you motivate? And uh, I frankly think the, quote, radical socialist, unquote, moniker that the Republicans have been trying to hang around every Democrat's neck may be a powerful motivator. I think it may have been a powerful motivator in the general election. People were just a little afraid of what might happen if the Democrats had control of the nation. Shirley, you know, what John is saying is, is interesting to me, and I think you kind of alluded to it earlier, in, or one of you did, and, and I apologize if I don't remember which one of you it was. Um, as we've said, Republicans did much better in the state legislature, particularly in the House, than many than Democrats thought they would. Democrats really thought they'd pick up seats. They didn't do well at all. Uh, and uh, across the country, we know that uh, Democrats, certainly in Congress, didn't have the successes they wanted. So uh, I bring that back to Georgia and Donald Trump. If it, to, to a large extent, it, it appears that uh, people voted against Donald Trump, to a certain number of them, 
and then turned around and voted for their Republican legislators. Does that seem fair to you? Or does that seem like what happened? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about the numbers to know whether it's what happened. What I, uh, certainly the outcome is that the legislature in Georgia did not change like the congressional uh, delegation changed. And you and I have had this exchange. I mean, you know, people think, well, we really don't have that many women in the delegation. Well, yes, we do. We have four. We've never had more than one at a time, right? So, so something happened between the congressional that was different in the congressional races than in the legislative races. And I don't know whether um, all of the energy was in the congressional races and the national races, and and then the local races. Um, uh, and for some reason, people didn't care that much about the state. But there was a lot on the ballot in some of these in the, some of these counties. I mean, you look at Gwinnett, you look at Cobb, you look at Ann. There was a lot on the ballot. Um, and so I think people just kind of gave up on knowing everybody who was running. So I wouldn't, I, I, I just, I, I don't, I would suggest that analysis of the difference in the campaigns is part of what we need to um, think about. And, and certainly the Democrats or the Republicans need to think about because the next time around, it might not be so easy uh, to win the, the legislature as an incumbent. You know, Shirley, you had to remind me through a text of, about the four women in the Georgia congressional delegation. Now, I'm still <laughs> absorbing the results of the election last week. We have Marjorie Taylor Greene, the conservative Republican up in the 14th. We have Carolyn Bordeaux, who has been declared the winner of in the seventh, the Democrat. Lucy McBath, the Democrat, of course, uh, won re-election. And Nakima Williams uh, won in the fifth. And as you point out, we now have three Democratic women and one sort of Republican woman uh, in the delegation. So, Jim, that is interesting that we now have uh, uh, four women in the delegation. Yeah, and at least for a little bit, you'll have Kelly Loeffler. Uh, in in the Senate, yeah. which 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 brings us up to five, and it's it's look that's I, I think I think what you have to to recognize is is that the 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 uh, that uh, uh, women uh, women voters uh, especially <laughs> black women voters, uh, but also now uh, college educated female white voters are are pretty solidly in the democratic camp and uh i think it's just it's 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 a fascinating thing to watch john i want to take advantage again of your uh historical knowledge as an observer of politics for for a long time in the state we talk about whether or not who's going to be energized to vote in this runoff election if Trump's not on the ballot, will his supporters here want to come out to the polls or not? Will Democrats who voted because they hated Trump turn out now without him on the ballot? But, John, we do have a historical precedent for this. In 1992, Bill Clinton wins the presidency, wins the state of Georgia, and White Fowler, who we've already talked about, was running for re-election to his seat in the United States Senate against Paul Coverdale. Uh, they went 
to a runoff. And the question then was the same as today. Who would be more motivated, Republican voters who had lost the White House or Democrats who wanted to build on the energy of having a Democratic president? Same kind of situation, John. Talk about it. Well, it really was. And Republicans actually galvanized there and put Paul Coverdell in the Senate. uh, And it was that was it. Uh, I, you know, I have a number of questions about how these, these runoffs are going to go, and it's, it's going to be fascinating to observe. I'm interested in what the outside influences are going to mean. We've already seen Chuck Schumer say, now we take Georgia, then we take the nation. I mean, I have a feeling that what's said outside of Georgia regarding this race may have a huge impact <laughs> on how the candidates run their races. Uh, will Kelly Leffler and, and David Perdue seek to find inroads in the suburbs. Uh, hard to imagine, but there are an awful lot of votes there. And, and if it's a philosophical uh, issue that's driving voters, uh, radical socialism, quote unquote, versus something else, then they might seek to find those inroads there. Uh, by the same token, the Democrats have got to find ways to not only get their numbers returning to the polls in a pandemic year, but will they attempt to find any, you know, avenues of support in, in white rural Georgia? Probably very doubtful. But I think there are going to be a lot of influences at play from outside the state that may well uh, have some interesting impact on how voters perceive this race and how they turn out to vote. Yeah, um, a couple things are different. Number one is is uh, I, th- I believe these, th- these will be the first runoffs uh, under the 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 agreement that was that, that was reached several several years ago, uh, 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 as a, as a result of a a federal lawsuit that that pushes the, the the finale into the next year, it's a it's a nine nine week gap just so military ballots can flow uh, mostly can flow back and forth, uh, 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 and be counted, uh, but we also have something else, Bill. We also have a likely. December first, statewide race in in uh, uh, for for this uh, the PSC seat now held by uh, by Bubba McDonald. Uh, you've got uh, Daniel Blackman, mm-hmm. the Democrat, is in there. I think uh, Bubba was uh, uh, three thousand and change votes below five hundred. Uh, so 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 you you're going to have almost a dress rehearsal, if you will. Uh, you, you could you could you could consider that statewide race just a a, a test of of maybe GOTV on both sides. Well, maybe, but Michael Thurman to get people to turn out for a runoff in one PSC race is going to be quite a challenge. I wonder what the percentage of the turnout is going to be for that one, Michael. Uh, it will be a challenge. You know, I've known Daniel Blackman since he was in high school. Brilliant young man served in the legislature with Bubba McDonald. But uh, hopefully it is an important race, though, by the way, with PSC, uh, particularly for consumers and the amount of money they pay for power and other utilities. Uh, before we get away from runoffs, though, and, and Jim, I, we can't not mention uh, Jim Martin and the Saxby Chamley runoff, uh, and I don't even remember the year. I just remember the event uh, as another uh, historical data point that gives some shed some light in what we're facing right now. I believe that was 2008. Was it not? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 2008. So I just want to mention, Jim, a brilliant uh, 
young young politician at the time, and all of those are building blocks that brings us to where we are today, and that's important. Now, one thing we have to consider too, and, and you know, and I'm an analyst today; I'm not a partisan, but Trump increased his percentage among African-American men and African-Americans in general. That's just something you have to pay attention to. It's not a huge number, but in a runoff, every vote counts. And so that will also be an indication. I think you're going to see a significant number of African-American Republicans uh, coming to Georgia as well. All right, I got to get to the final break of the show. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Shirley Franklin, uh, during your two terms, two terms as mayor, and as you were running for the office in the first place, like many mayors, you ran in a nonpartisan race, but you've been a longtime Democrat. Your terms as mayor, do you did not have a Democratic agenda? You were a very pragmatic mayor. You had to fix the sewers, uh, which was a huge undertaking. But let me ask you to put your Democratic That's me hat. Clapping <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, Shirley, just where do you see, with a state that appears to have elected a Democratic president but maintains a Republican legislature uh, where we've got these uh, congressional, these Senate runoffs, just gaze into your crystal ball. Where do you think Georgia is headed in terms of who will dominate, Republicans or Democrats, in the years to come, and why? I think women will dominate. And I think that the candidates that the candidates and the parties that appeal to the interests of families, children, women, uh, the elderly will dominate. And most of the time, um, that that a lot of that has to do with the Democratic agenda. So I don't think it's I, I agree with Michael. I mean, I wouldn't say we're a blue state because we um, have have swung in this particular election. We are a swing state, and that is progress. But I think that uh, the increased engagement of women at the county level, uh, at the congressional level, um, and I think we'll see them come back and be dominant in legislative races. So I, th- I would pay attention to women if I were you. <laughs> Okay, Michael, uh, give, let us get a quick answer from you. Where are we headed as a state? Well, absolutely. I'll just restate it. We're a swing state, and so you'll see more moderation on the Democratic and Republican side. But in order to win, you always, always have to energize and never, ever abandon the base, Republican or Democrat. John Pruitt, uh, you've been out of the uh, full-time job as an anchor 10 years, we said at the start of the show. Uh, Was it exciting? I just, this is just on a personal note, because I know you don't want to get into a partisan discussion. How exciting was it to be back and uh, analyzing, and are are you enjoying it, or do you just wish it were over with? (laughs) Bill, you know me better than that. We've worked together in too many venues uh, for you to miss (laughs) No, I was excited, engaged uh, as a journalist. Uh, it's one thing that makes journalism such a wonderful field, uh, just to be part of it. And, of course, I did want to be part of it. And, and I want to second what uh, Michael just said about uh, moderation on both sides. I think as a swing state, 
that will be essential. Uh, Republicans are going to have to find ways to appeal to suburban voters. Uh, it will be difficult, but their base is a declining entity. The rural areas are losing population. The suburbs are gaining population. So I think it will be interesting to see, uh, particularly as Republicans will draw the legislative seats for the next decade since they still hold sway in the legislature. So the the table is set for continued Republican legislative majorities for the next decade. But still, Republicans cannot ignore what's going on in the suburbs and the voting power there. So it's going to be fascinating to watch the nuances of how Republicans maybe find ways to court some suburban voters as we move into the future. So oh, one last question, and then I'll ask Jim the same question. Joe Biden in his uh, victory speech Saturday night uh, said, we've got to put our partisan differences behind us. We've got to, we've got to stop with the harsh rhetoric. To what extent do you think it's possible that we might be entering a new era? It it may not be happening now because the Trump forces continue to want to fight uh, aggressively. But once that's over with, what do you think about the chances that, that Biden may have some sway over just that? Cheryl, just quickly, the key, the key is, yeah, the key is that he, he, he wants to do it. So the focus that he, uh, President-elect Biden brings to that will matter. And I think it will pay dividends, whether they will be quick or expansive. I don't think we know, but I do believe that it will pay dividends. And I think he's sincere. So the fact that he wants to work on that will have, will pay dividends for the country. We got two minutes left. John, do you agree? Uh, I do agree. I do agree. Uh, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how the president-elect, assuming he is inaugurated in January, uh, will will deal with this and will find ways to uh, accommodate himself to those who oppose him. And he may be the exact right man at the exact right time, but it's going to be a, a challenge right. and we'll wait and see. All right, uh, Jim, Bill, you get let me, the last word. Yeah, let me let me point to two two lo- lo- more local things. Number one, House Speaker David Ralston had a had a a plan to to let to let his suburban Republicans uh, back uh, things like the hate crime bill, like uh, like 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 uh, maternal bills to combat maternal mortality. You're going to see more of that happen. Uh, and the other thing I would point out is Governor Kemp has a new chief of staff. He's a former Isaacson guy, and that means something. More, a more moderate force, perhaps, in the governor's office. Shirley Franklin, Michael Thurman, John Pruitt, Jim Galloway, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. There's about, oh, 500-plus years of political experience among all of you, and I'm glad you brought it to bear today. Uh, we're out of time. Tomorrow we're going to have Constitutional Law uh, Forum on the ACA case, which is before the Supreme Court tomorrow. I'm excited about that show and hope you'll join us. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Until tomorrow, take care. Please stay healthy. Wear your mask and go get a flu shot. See you all tomorrow.